0: Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the Extended Edition, which is exclusive to Patreon supporters. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast and everything we do at Cosmic Shambles Network, and get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies, like free tickets to our events and so on. So go to patreon.com forward slash book shambles. You don't need to say forward slash anymore. You you know how this works, don't you? Hello, welcome to Book
1: Shambles, producer Trent here. This week's guest on the show joining Robin and Beck in the studio is one of Britain's best-selling science fiction authors, Peter F. Hamilton. His new book, Salvation Lost, has just hit shops. Uh, So we recorded this uh, a few months ago, actually, but we've been holding it until now. So, to avoid confusion, uh, we've edited out like about 30 seconds where Beck talks about going up to Edinburgh soon because she's already done that. And uh, her show at Edinburgh is available, uh, if not now, very, very soon in VR. Uh, it's the first comedy special uh, to be released in VR on uh, the platform, uh, the Vive platform, I believe. So, you can go to Beck's website and find out about that. Robin is on tour. With chaos of delight at the moment. We have dates coming up in Cambridge and Glasgow and Edinburgh and Newcastle and other such places. Go to Robin's website, com for dates and ticket links. And don't forget this week, our brand new podcast, Wife on Earth, with Joanna Neary and her dear friend Celia reviewing books in her local library do check that out it's out now wife on earth go to cosmic shambles.com slash celia or just search for wife on earth on all your usual podcast platforms the first episode is out this week uh there's a little bit of a cameo from one of your book shambles hosts in that so make sure you download that tell everyone about it uh like Subscribe, review, all those things. You can do that for Wife on Earth and Science Shambles and Book Shambles and any of the podcasts you listen to from the Cosmic Shambles Network. Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People is fast approaching. Two shows in Salford, five in London, one of which is our first ever family matinee. Tickets for that at CosmicShambles.com slash Nine Lessons all hosted by Robin with loads of special guests, many of whom you will have heard on Book Shambles, like Beck and Josie and Nikesh Shukla and Lucy Green and Matt Parker and Helen Chersky and George Egg and many, 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 many more. And, of course, as always, all profits from those shows will be going to charity, so snap up tickets for those shows now. And finally, as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to pledge as little as $1 a month to support everything we do at Cosmic Shambles. And you'll get extended episodes each week, other goodies available on there as well for different tiers. Enough of this waffle. On to a different type of waffle this week's episode.
0: Here is Robin
1: and Beck and Peter. (music)
0: Anyway. Okay. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's book shambles uh, Josie unfortunately is unwell, by which I mean she's just not here, she's not unwell, she's fine but she's yeah. somewhere else, therefore You made up uh, a sickness
2: for yeah. her, it's called a baby Yeah,
0: the, uh, it might be a baby, it might be her uh, I think creative she's previewing, yeah. Edinburgh Fringe preview as well mm. um, and so the part of Josie Long, well won't be played by anyone but Josie Long but the part of Beck Hill will be played by Beck Hill who is, <laughs> is here uh, in her state and uh, we're Joined by uh, the writer Peter F Hamilton, who um, we're going to get straight on with this because okay. I I find the idea of the intricacy of of creating the enormity of of the worlds that you have to create, mm. and that it, I want to know that process. I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but from the, when you first start on the very first, because of course by the time this new one, salvation lost. This world has been built, etc. And now you're working within it. But on your very first book, and before we started recording, you were talking about, you know, the size of those books. Yeah. How does that process? To, I mean, I, I see a crazed cork board and post-it mm-hmm. notes, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, what, what is your process to start to build that world?
3: um it comes from the the original idea this is the, this is the the very bog standard where do you get your ideas from who knows but when one comes along that i can use then uh for for this for the salvation series it was it was um taking people on trust when you shouldn't do um and okay well what kind of science fiction setting can we put this in because i i don't write outside the genre very much um okay so what sort of world what sort of future And this starts to build and snowballs, if you like. And then you look at, okay, well, if it's set 200 years time, what kind of technology are you going to have? So what kind of society will that bring? Have we got clean, uh, cheap energy by then? if so, what becomes more um, affordable, if you like? You can recycle things better so you have closed circuit uh, manufacturing, all this kind of thing. And that kicks into politics. Um, So it all sort of builds organically, if you like, from that one original idea. Uh, And then you look at, okay, well, I need people to do this and that uh, because of the plot. So who am I going to pick out of the society I've built? And it it all just builds from that. I've done several trilogies now, all different universes, because I have to do something different every now and then. when I'm putting, the wo- when I'm putting a, st- a story together, this Salvation and, and the, the other two coming off of it are, is a trilogy and will take me three to four years. The first six months is just totally making notes and getting this society to work in my head. For the simple reason, if I can't believe it'll work, I can't get the reader to believe it'll work.
0: So you can see why a lot of authors write books about authors who have a mother who's ill, uh, because generally they're often authors who have a mother that's ill. Whereas what you are doing, because that, that's yep. what I suppose I find fascinating, is someone. This, is, this, I've, I've only read a, you know a, a few examples of this kind of genre, and every time the first thing I think is this godlike building of a civilization, which which seems to go on.
3: Yeah, it is, I mean certainly in in modern science fiction, I mean we've actually been around for quite a while, depending on how you date it, was it Jules Verne or, or um, H.G. Wells or whatever. Um, we, we sort of started to bloom, if you like, in the pulp era, where we really were the old magazines in America, which were made out of pulp paper, hence the name. Um, and they were very um, basic stories. I'm generalising horribly, but there would be an engineering problem and the competent man would come along and solve it, and that was the end. Um, nowadays, of course, I... We want to write about characters. We want to write, particularly. I want to write about the effects change have on society. Um, the The Night's Dawn trilogy, which was was quite large, to put it mildly. Mm. Um, there's this huge and wonderful con- conflict and, you know, we, we follow the heroes and the villains, which is very exciting and dramatic. But I also wanted to do what happens to the little man, what happens to the everyman after the, the fallout of this? How has how their life been changed and what, how will they progress in the future? Um, and I think that that's, most of my contemporaries are doing that now. They are looking at, at, at the overall aspect rather than just focusing on, uh, you know, the guy with the sword. Beating up monsters so he can get to the Holy Grail and whatever. Um, I'm being slightly, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, but yes, we, you've you've got to embrace the whole the whole society. You've got to have a look at it all. I think to make it work these days.
0: Because I'm trying to remember. Because amazing stories didn't it have? Wasn't it, it? Its tagline used to be something like "fiction today, fact tomorrow." <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, I. Can't, that's not exactly what it. But you know, I. Yeah. I, I you know, the, the the people behind it in the early days were very much driven, weren't they? By would science fiction be a driver for imagination that would become creatively real you know that actually that you know the 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 idea of machines the idea of space exploration when you look at these you know these wonderful pictures all of which look like basically Tintin's red rocket for destination all of those kind of things (laughs) yes
3: (laughs) which which look like the v2 um no science fiction i mean don't read it thinking it's going to be predictive it's not but we do do we do occasionally get a few things right which is nice
2: when you were putting together your, your world, um, do you rely mostly on just on your imagination, your own ability to sort of go, OK, well, this if this is in place, then this would be happening and this and this and this? Or do you draw from uh, um, nonfiction uh, writers' lectures, that sort of thing, just to work out what it, they're saying could be happening in the future?
3: It's a little bit of a combination. Um it's basically, it's basically like dominoes falling. Uh, when you've got one in in salvation, we have portals where you, you step from one to another. Everyone, everyone these days knows what a portal is. Mm. Um, but actually, if they became so mundane that they replaced cars and bicycles and everything, how would you actually physically do that? Um, so I sort of I go through the logical process of doing it, and and basically it's like a tube network where there isn't a tube train between stations. You just take one step through the portal and you're there. So that's the kind of process I use. If if that's possible, how would it actually apply? How would we, and how would it change our lives because of that?
0: Is there a when you were talking about the history of, of science fiction? And I know some people would say Mary Shelley, they place...
3: Yep. Frankenstein. Good one.
0: Would you say... And then I think... Didn't Tycho Brahe... Was it Tycho... No, it wasn't Tycho Brahe. It was Kepler, wasn't it? Kepler wrote something, I think, about a journey to the moon. Oh, I can't, um,
3: Voyage to the moon, journey to the moon? It was yes, something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. But that... Is there a certain line where... And I know the trouble with... The moment you get into genre, is something I talked about ages ago, and someone ended up getting quite upset, uh, which was... I do think it's fascinating that this is true cinematically and this is true within books as well that when you get to a certain level of genre then for some reason critics that it's not even dismissed it's ignored you know I still find it remarkable that a film like The Fly by David Cronenberg which mm. I think is a masterpiece would never be anywhere near the Oscars in fact Cronenberg himself who I think has been one of the the the, the great uh auteurs really of, of the last 40 years that's that's not Oscar stuff that's not and in the same way I think within you know when I talk to people who work for instance Galantz you know we have a big back catalogue of some of the really great works of of 20th century science fiction and you talk to people who are generally very literate but that would never cross their mind to go into that world do you ever analyse that and think what, what is it that creates this and it is a it can be a snobbishness, I think it can
3: to a degree, yes, I think we still are shrugging away that that pulp background as is that is is the perception <laughs> that certainly me. my generation and uh, so we say our generation, not back <laughs> um, we, we have of this that it, it, that it is just you know robots fighting each other and with ray guns and and rocket ships it it 's moved on just so far from that, but we we haven 't got rid of that that taint, if you like. Um, and to to be honest the writing of the pulps wasn't (laughs) spectacular shall we say it it, it had a job to do and it did it it didn't explore you know the emotional impact and the, the cultural impact and all this kind of thing therefore it kind of got dismissed I would think but certainly at the time and that that has lingered
0: I do love that I mean when you hear about you know, the, the process of someone like L. Ron Hubbard, which was just basically here's this enormous reel of paper mm. and he just types until he has the correct number of words and then kind of rips it off and then just keeps typing. And there's, there's <laughs> I forget the name, with, with Alan Moore a while ago, we used to, he had he was given these books by Neil Gaiman, which were fantastic. The author who wrote things, that they had titles like The Case of the Wooden Spectacles. <laughs> and what was fascinating <laughs> about them was you could, we would sit on a stage and the audience would tell us when they wanted to change books. I would stop halfway through a sentence and Alan would start reading from a totally different book by the same author and all of it made as much sense or as much nonsense. Yes. It, it was an incredible... <laughs> like Somehow it was never so attached to any actual plot or anything that you would have no idea. Whether yeah. we And we would do it with five books sometimes, bouncing in and out of all of them. And so you're right, that that kind of pulp thing which is always, oh my God, the bill's just come. I'd better yeah. write another one about some people we found in the moon.
3: That, uh, Van Vot was quite uh, notorious for doing that as well. He had to have I mean, it's, it's a good idea. He had to have some something happen every two pages, um, and of course, th- that way the whole plot just goes to hell. Basically, if something has to happen, it doesn't have to be related to the plot. It just has to happen, um, which is uh, I kind of adopted. I did a, I did three children's books a while back, and that that was kind of my my system when I was writing out the chapter notes of of having to have something happen to keep keep readers' attention. Because the younger you get, you know, you haven't got the best attention span. Uh, and that was kind of my idea for that. But Van Vogt took it to, to extraordinary levels. When, when, you, when you
0: were young, what, what was the point in which science fiction became an important part in, in your life? Was it in childhood?
3: Uh, yeah, um, just sort of coming into teens, a bit pre-teens. I, I, I'm a Rutland lad. I grew up in Rutland and, and love it though I do. Um, it is the middle of rural nowhere. Uh, And, of course, we're talking 60s and 70s here where where both TV channels ended at 10 o'clock and there wasn't a lot to do. And I I found the, the science fiction section in the library and that was it. I was out of there.
0: Still, one of my favorite books of all time, with the Rutland collection, is I do have uh, the Rutland Dirty Weekend book uh, by Eric Idle and uh, <laughs> Rutland is, Weekend but, uh, Television, yes, yeah, and and it's it's a book which I ordered from the school bookshop and it never arrived because apparently it arrived and so he cannot have this disgusting work by Eric Idle. I remember
3: the I I have it. Um, I always the the first few pages are, are supposedly. Um, left over from the Vatican Sex Manual. So yeah. your your the the librarian probably opened it at that page and said no. <laughs> Do you
0: think though, because it was an Anglican school, they would think yes it's exactly the kind of CD Catholic <laughs> stuff here. we know about all that. <laughs> so who were your when you were reading those, who who were the ones that you uh, were particularly drawn to? Who were the ones where you just uh...
3: I'll um I'll tell you one that that um you won't be suspecting is is W. E. Jones, the writer of Biggles. Mm. He wrote a few um, science fiction books. I, I, I'm afraid I can't actually remember the titles or even what they were about. But even then, I knew this wasn't particularly good. C.S. Um, <laughs> Lewis, I think, was about the. There certainly wasn't as much science fiction in those days as there is now. I mean, it would, it would be the you know Aldis, uh, Heinlein, Clark, and McCaffrey was just coming out then. Um, all these kind of things, the, the classics as we call them nowadays. Yeah. Um, So that was what I was drawn to then. Then I went into Niven and early 80s, Julian May's Saga of the Exiles came out. That was a bit of a game changer for me.
0: And so that... I mean, what, what did it? Because I'm always cause I, as as someone who was very much, oh yeah, you know, I used to get Starburst magazine. I would read all these kind of books, and, and horror as well was an important part. Mm. And it does seem that very often the starting point for a lot of, I don't know about with with you back as well. With very often it is when you're slightly on the outside for some mm. reason. This actually to offer you not the not the world you're in, but an alternative world. I mean, and, and and I do think that sometimes in science fiction and in horror fiction as well, they are life belts for people who. Are going to grow up to perhaps be, you know, have yeah. a, have a quirk and an eccentricity, yeah. which we, you can find your people once you're out of school. But when you're in school, and you are slightly alone and you're slightly lost, these these things are tremendous comfort as well.
2: Mm. All yeah. my school friends were into uh, things like Babysitters Club and all that sort of stuff. That's what got me into Goosebumps, which arguably is the pulp books of my generation. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but just just again, it's that sort of surreal horror comedy type thing that but then that that was my like this is my thing because your thing's weird and boring and it involves having to look after children on weekends why would you escape to that why is your escapism Babysitting.
0: Sweet Valley High. Ah. Don't forget those.
2: what <laughs> See, that, I wonder how that's
0: changed the genre, though, as well, because now you have a lot of, you know, that bit. It's a bit like sometimes you go and see an alternative band and it's filled with mainstream people and mm. they talk all the way through it and you get really cross because you go, this is mm. my band and this is for me. And I think, in some ways, in the same way, some of the, the, the what was previously the fiction for, you know, read a lot by more about outside kids has been, it's gone so much into the mainstream with the way that Hollywood's dealt with it and the money yeah. that it's made from, you know, the, the that it's something's gone slightly wrong or so not slightly wrong necessarily but it's changed the relationship with with some of the genre work
3: i think so i mean yeah i mean most of the if you look through the top 10 best-selling lists i mean at least half of the of hollywood is, is science fiction films um it doesn't quite translate over into science fiction book sales but there's certainly a more awareness of us nowadays. It's not quite the, the little grubby corner at the back of the bookshop anymore. We, hmm. we, do, we are gradually moving towards the front. We're not there yet, but we are gradually moving up, up the floor. You'll of have the a
0: carousel before you know it. Ah,
3: come in. Yes. <laughs> have a spin on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's getting that way. Um, we, the people are paying a little bit more attention to us and there's all sorts of, of things are drawing in. Um, you know, manga is a huge thing now. Uh, I was in forbidden planet before I came here and you know, the manga section is right next to the science fiction Mm. section. So hopefully you'll get a bit of crossover there. People are looking for that and maybe what, what else have we got that's, that's similar and, but different. And, and, you know, there's the science fiction section. So I think overall, overall perception of it has certainly risen
0: the programme will continue in a moment but I just quickly want to mention that uh, we're coming up to Thirsk with a book shambles on the 23rd of November for the podcast social event a great big festival of podcasts and uh, I'll be there with Charles Fernhoff as well from uh, well numerous fascinating books of philosophy, psychology, neuroscience and also others and uh, so hopefully I will see some of you in Thirsk now we bring you to your expected programme (laughs) Is it ill-served in some ways by Hollywood? Because so much of a good science fiction is filled with ideas. And I think of, you know, sometimes you will see obviously Philip K. Dick, you know, after he died, suddenly, you know, there's more and more. And and um, some of like I saw the Adjustment Bureau uh recently, which yes. came out a while ago. And I thought, it's taken a very interesting story filled with ideas and turned it, I felt, into a reasonably bland romance. Hmm. Uh, and that quite often there are certain you know if you, obviously if you go to someone like Tarkovsky where suddenly you have you know Arkady and Boris Dragatsky I, th- I think their their work is incredible I think Roadside Picnic I've banged on about this before if you've not have you read Roadside Picnic it's a bloody great novel right it's just because Stalker which is an incredible film obviously uh, it, it's what's beautiful about it is stalker is basically a separate version of the same world that they created in roadside picnic so it's not an adaptation of the book and it's basically this idea that when extraterrestrials do come to the earth they don't even notice us they literally stop as if it's a lay-by they have their picnic chuck all their rubbish out the window and then fly off but of course their rubbish is so advanced technologically (laughs) that it creates this and uh you know and i think so every now and again you do see something which is you go this has the complexity of what exists within the book mm. but i think so much of it has also been cowboy movies
3: well it has yeah I mean, they they even made cowboys and aliens didn't they Oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but but then you get something like arrival which was the mm. ted chang story and i heard they were going to do this and i thought no they can't do that 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 would just work on film and yet they did and it was a it was a smart movie
0: yeah it is just such a do you have a favourite um, cinematic science fiction? I was, just,
2: well, I was just going to say what you reminded me of when you talked about the, the computer screens is, it, is just that in the original uh, uh, BBC Hitchhiker's Guide Teller series and how they had to animate the, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide. They had to do it as a frame-by-frame animation yeah. with, with black and then the, the cutout of the text. And I just remember being, having my mind blown by that because these days you just yeah type Early it case
3: of an e-book <laughs> as well. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is that, the, the original Kindle.
2: When when I got my first uh, uh, smartphone, I got a cover for it, and I um and I made a little sticker that said "Don't Panic" to put it on the front because <laughs> I felt like it was very much my first Hitchhiker's Guide. It's very chuffed with myself.
0: It was the most exciting moment. I just I remember buying it, at a bookshop in Old Amersham, and getting that first book and falling into. And I'd not. It was before the TV series was out. I hadn't heard the radio show. That was the introduction to those ideas. How um, important... We, we were talking to Jim Al-Kleely the other day uh, about his his book Sunfall, his first work of, of, of fiction. How important is the science element for you? I mean... Again, that's when you see things that are going on with Interstellar, et etc., and you see people like Kip Thorne being yeah. involved in the fact that that movie starts from the idea of wouldn't it be great to make a movie that is based around the, the reality of what we understand about black holes, etc., and the nature of time. Do you? And I, but equally, Christopher Nolan. There was, I think, I can't remember which bit it is. There's one bit which is scientifically inaccurate, and I think Kip Thorne argued for the other way, and he went, he went, I oh, know Kip, but do you know what? This is still a movie, and this is a better way of the movie going. And I think. Do you have those moments? When time, you about is
2: that the time dilation? Are you talking about? Do you mean interstellar?
0: Oh, man, what did I say? Arrival. Arrival, Sorry. which no, is so the interstellar. Amy Adams, interstellar, yeah, interstellar. Yeah, interstellar. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, do you find that? Do, do you have moments where you go, I want to. I've I've done the reading. I've you know I've 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 read the book. And this is roughly the correct science, but do you know what? It's going to be a lot better if I do that. Or do you? So it's it's a it's part of the story, but it doesn't have to be that accurate. Um,
3: it's kind of a blend of the two. Um i hate I hate artificial gravity um there's a very good quote mm-hmm. from Larry Niven as if you can create gravity, you can do anything
2: <laughs> um,
3: so if you're in one of my spaceships, you only feel gravity if it's accelerating or if it's spinning like the like the wheel on two thousand and uh, two thousand and one um, so yeah i I will the end the basic engineering is right um I won't transgress it but you know having said that, if I need to go to another planet. Um, then we will have a faster-than-light drive, uh, which is mathematically possible. I mean, wormholes are mathematically possible. We haven't quite got round to building the uh, the generator yet. It's a little bit trickier than that. Um, so I, w- I will get the basics right, and then I will, uh, like all science fiction writers, I will extrapolate from that. Uh, there's there's in what is it the, the Commonwealth series? I've, I used to have OC tattoos, organic segregated tattoos because and this is this is shows you how the the development process works Um, smartphones are getting smaller and smaller and more powerful and tats are getting a lot more prevalent when I was when I was a lad it was a sailor had a a, you know an anchor on his arm and that was it that was all tattoos were and everybody has them these days Um, so I thought oh great let's combine the two let's make organic circuitry tattoos so you tattoo your phone on your hand and then, of course, it being, it being this kind of story, you had uh, military electronics as well, and all this kind of thing. Um, they've Motorola filed a patent for. It's actually a transfer um, to do this. You can you can transfer circuits onto your skin, and there's a German science medical science team have come up with a very interesting idea. It's more like a tattoo. Is that you inject. Specific chemicals in as, as dots, and depending on your blood composition, it changes color, you know like the the thermal plastic we have at the moment you see if something 's hot it, mm. it goes red, so don 't touch it, so they can monitor you know cholesterol and blood it's very, very experimental, but I got that right
2: oh, that's mm.
3: that must be a very yeah.
0: exciting moment
3: it off. is yeah. the, the the trouble is now there's um it used to be in the science museum was the original wireless world of Oh, I'll get corrected on this by somebody writing in. I think it was 47 when Arthur C. Clarke wrote to them uh, and explained geosynchronous yeah. communication satellites. And I it, it was actually in the Science Museum at one point, open at the page, and they always said if he'd sent it to the Patent Office instead of the Wireless World, he would have been a billionaire. Yeah. Um, so I, I clearly need to send my my manuscripts first to the Patent Office before yeah, the editor right. gets to it. Um, but yeah, we do occasionally get things uh, not spot on, but that's the direction things are heading. In terms of what you read now, what are,
0: your, what are the books that you enjoy most? I mean, do you find yourself often... Is so much of your time spent reading around you the, the, what you're going to create... Or do you also have, it's like we were chatting to uh, the author Philip Ridley and he said whenever he's working on a play or a novel, he can pretty much only read Agatha Christie because mm. it's so far away from what he's going to do mm. that he, you know, and that. so he's quite addicted to that.
3: Yeah, um, I, I get where he's coming from. I remember writing uh, one of my earliest stuff, which was a, which was a murder mystery, and reading Terry Pratchett at the same time. And then I had to go back through my manuscript to take out all the puns because it was a serious, <laughs> serious murder here. You can't have people <laughs> puns all the time. Um, the other, I always say I was, I'm quite well well read up to the point where I started writing. Um, and, the, and now, of course, I've got kids and the time just vanishes. And of course, I know a lot of science fiction writers. Mm. So I'm tending to sort of, go towards their works first and then when I'm on holiday I'll, I'll try and read something else uh and then I've got to Sheds get I've managed to avoid that so far <laughs> um so yeah it, it reading becomes quite difficult I, I am aware of this this too much crossover but if you don't read anything you know where are your where are your baby ideas going to come from um i Funny thing about science fiction is, is we do have a lot of collaborations, uh, which which doesn't tend to happen in many other uh, genres. Uh, I'm doing a, a novella with a friend of mine at the moment, and I've I've done short stories before with with uh, Graham Joyce, bless him, uh, and it's it's an interesting process of I I wind up calling it ideas ping pong is which I, I will write a, uh, a section of the but we, we agree on the plot, the overall plot to start with. I will write a section and it will go over to Gareth, who will write his section and it will come back and oh, I wouldn't have written it like that, but that's a good one and I can bounce off that and I, then I will write my section and send it back to him. And it's, it's quite this, this force-growing, if you like, of, of ideas, of stuff that neither of us would come up on their own, but because we're bouncing off each other the whole time, uh, it, it becomes quite imaginative, an imaginative process. And it, oh, if, okay, I'm going to take that, and then I'm going to do this with it, which he won't expect me to do. <laughs> um, so, it's, yeah, it's 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 quite a, a, an interesting way of writing outside the norm.
0: I wonder why it is that with with books, when you think of you know, with films, you have Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett, mm. you have obviously you know people like Clement and the Front End, and in fact, more often than not, it, the, the idea of of the lone author, especially in television, is mm. is is not. You know, very there will normally be a creative process that involves a secondary yeah. or two primary, and I wonder why it is. With you're right, there's because I suppose Stephen Baxter and, and Terry Pratchett that was right, yeah, wasn't it? They, they yeah. did some stuff together. There was, I can't, Philip K. Dick did some co-wrote the Ganymede something, I think oh, it's yeah, called. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, Ga- can you look that up, Trent yes, Ganymede? I, I forget he did a couple, I think, which he co-wrote. Uh, Ganymede,
3: so I remember that, yeah. yes. Um, I, I know Steve Baxter wrote with uh, with clark as well uh and al Al reynolds and steve done one um i think it helps that that i mean you've got to know the guy you're writing Mm. with and you've got to put your ego aside because if it comes back and 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 your best sentence is being crossed out you've just got to grit your teeth and put up with it um so there, there is that sort of basic level of understanding to start with so you've got to be good friends with the person you're doing it with Mm-hmm. And, and accept that things are things are going to be changed. That you, you you know your precious sentence is going to be shifted around quite a lot. Um, so I, I don't know quite, but I, like I said, and writers' rooms in America for every TV yeah, show, hey. it's not a single writer. It's, it's a whole group of people
2: but I wonder if it's a little bit easier when because when it comes to television you often they tend to split up scenes mm. so they'll say oh you've got these characters and this they already know what ha- is happening in the scene it's more the they get together and then go away and do the dialogue and some of the gags and stuff yeah. like that well I'm going for comedy writers rooms but obviously there's many for different shows um but i i, I was just thinking that because I was like oh well if I was going to kind on of a book it's not like you can have a writer's room for a book and you go all right well this happens in this chapter so you go away and write that chapter while we go and write the first chapter i mean it'd be an interesting book but it, i'd feel like it wouldn't have the same if it's a chronological book it wouldn't have that same actual... yes oh,
3: sorry i was gonna say we're, we're writing it in a, in a linear fashion but yeah. to actually go away and write your five chapters and gareth writes his five chapters and try and lock them together yeah i don't i'm not sure that would work
2: no, exactly, because it's such a distinct writing style. Yes, whereas, yeah, with yeah. at least if you're working on a show, especially one that's been going for a while, then everyone kind of goes, "All oh, right, so we know that these characters sound like this, and you're writing for people who are playing those characters, so that's not changing. The style of the delivery isn't changing. Yeah, but a you must
3: you must have someone that comes up with the plot, with the with the the, the situations in situation coming. You must have that to start with to divide up the scenes. Somebody must yeah. come up with the original.
2: But that'd probably just be more about sitting around and throwing out some ideas. Yeah, yeah there might be
3: two. You
0: know, again, in, in in films, you know that that. I mean, again, I, I keep going back to Billy Wilder and Charles, or of course, uh, Billy Wilder and um, uh, Raymond Chandler. You know, the, the 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 relationship that destroyed Raymond Chandler. He went back on the bottle after uh, Double oh. Indemnity. It's an interesting story there. Um, what i I'm, I'm intrigued by. Um, also what's it when science fiction writers gather together because I certainly know when crime writers (laughs) gather together they have a very nice time and I find that you know when I go to a lot of the book festivals I go to which are just you know normal book festivals everyone sits on their own and everyone it's like if if you're used to like comedy backstage or or science uh, festivals or whatever you're used to it being quite gregarious (laughs) but booked you know, everyone's very much in their own little world they've normally got their PR person there and blah, blah, blah. and it's it's a bit where I I wonder you know science fiction conventions obviously there are a lot of those how is that social grouping how does that work
3: uh, oh it's fabulous and um, we we all go out for for meals together in the evening um sit in the bar very late at night discussing <laughs> my wife doesn't come to many of them because she says um in theory if you put two or more science fiction writers in a room we're all quite well up on science. We all know how to express ourselves. We all have opinions. Bizarrely, we're all very keen on music. It should be the most fascinating conversation you've ever come across. What actually happens when you put two or more science fiction writers in a room, we just sit there and bitch about our publishers. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, but how, once, we, once we finish the bitching, uh, we yes, it's 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 nice. It's a nice community, shall we put it that way? It's, is there a uh,
0: science fiction authors band yet? Because I know there's two. Ian Rankin's got his band, and Val McDermott, I believe, is with her band. And then you've got uh, there's a few other kind of uh, um, so, cr- criminal author because I think one of them is fun-loving criminal writers or something like that. It's called. I can't remember the uh, exact. I've given that as a, a botched title, but there's and sometimes they play at the same. You know, there's a, a, a little bit of rather delightful rivalry, because I think Ian's band, they actually write original songs, whereas Val's band, I think, does uh, um, covers.
3: Right. No, there's certainly a lot of wannabe DJs who get up there on disco night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whether they should or not is another matter. Uh, I don't... I can't think off, off the top of my head, I can't think of a, a science fiction writer's band. No.
0: See, I like the idea that disco is actually uh,
3: so I've got a request. Can you play uh, side
0: three of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds? And then we just have people throwing shapes to Phil Leonard's mad preacher. <laughs> <laughs> they're not devils, they're Martians. I oh, I still love that there was also there was a great tape. I forget it was it was uh, Trunk Records have have re-released it. This guy in his bedroom in Hull basically created his own kind of fantastic space opera. Uh, and he just did it all on his own. You know, the keyboards that were just coming out in in, in the early eighties gave access to everyone, and it's yeah. this fantastic mm. little kind of you know progish experience.
2: I saw uh, uh, Moon with the live um, uh, London Contemporary Orchestra score by Clint Mansell on Friday night at the Barbican.
3: Oh, I heard they were doing.
2: Oh, tingle, tingly, tingly. It was okay. amazing. It's and it's such a simple score, but but I mean, in in terms of its uh, re- repetitive nature, I guess, but. I mean, when it's played by full orchestra right in front of you. I Whoa. just still
0: love that having, you know, I used to go and watch Pop Will Eat Itself, Big Max Fries to Girl, give me Big Max Fries to go. And that was Clint Mansell, they were great. They're one of the great black, black country bands. And, and I still think Pop Will Eat Itself were magnificent. The fact that he's now occasionally Oscar nominated for his beautiful orchestral scores mm. as well is not what we were expecting. Uh, I think necessary. And <laughs> no one could have predicted it. Even Arthur T. Clark and said, "I think that some of the black country bands from the early '90s will eventually become Oscar-winning composers." <laughs> he wouldn't have got that far. The satellite, yes. Clint Mansell's career trajectory, possibly not. Um, People at, final... at the
3: start of the century, no one could have predicted that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no
0: one would have believed in yeah. the last yeah. years of the 20th century. Um, the uh, the black country rap bands. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I just want to know, actually, who are your? Because uh, we didn't quite cover that. When you are reading, when you have got time to read, when the when the when the children are quiet, uh, who is your favourite? Or who is the author where either returning? Maybe someone. Is, do you have one where you just go? That is someone who has. You know, you return. That's they... a
3: hugely unfair question, isn't it? It is because I'm going to yeah. meet them over the next couple of months. And why wasn't? You All right, I'll tell you what.
0: I I'll change it. Of the dead authors,
3: <laughs> who would you choose
0: as your favourite dead author? There we go, that's that covered.
3: Um my favourite dead author, oh dear.
2: Just to wait and meet them in the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> the worst what thing you could you do is name somebody who's
0: not dead, dead. and then like, yes. I've not died! <laughs> no, you didn't look very well when I saw you a couple of years back.
3: <laughs> um Okay, actually I've got a good out on this. I'll I'll go for Julian May. Uh, the right. saga of the exiles, because I really did enjoy that. When it when it first came along, early '80s, early to mid '80s, safe choice. Mm. Julian May, Saga of the Exiles.
0: Excellent. Um, Salvation Lost is uh, well, it's out now. As are all your other books, they remain out. Thanks very much for for coming along. And uh, Beck, I know you've got no recommendations today because we've uh, we've run out recommendations. I mean, if I was
2: going to recommend one, it'd be There's No Atmosphere Here, and I'd say young. Ad- well, when I say young adults, it's the closest thing I could say to a pulp. Uh, book which was uh written for teenage girls About a teenage girl has to move to the moon because that's where her family's relocating and oh she can't can't go out of the mall anymore. It's, it's terrible. And I thoroughly recommend it if you don't want to have to pay attention to anything.
3: Can I do one? Yeah. I'll go um it's probably my, my most favourite of the last five years uh was Claire North's The First Fifteen Lies of Harry August.
0: Oh I've not read, read that.
3: Uh was... it's it's Time Travel Like You've Never Read It Before.
0: Ooh. Oh, I'll go for that then. I was just going to say that I've met four different people this weekend who hadn't read Flowers for Algernon, <gasps> and I thought that was a sad thing. And so no. I'm, even though it's a, it's, it's an old book, and uh, it, it's such a, I, I, you know, the. Oh, no, are, that...
3: are you talking about the book or the the original short story? Oh, I, I, I didn't know
0: there was. So it's Daniel Keyes, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know there was short. I've only, I think oh, I've read no, the no, no,
3: it was the 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 short story is is concise and brilliant. And then he sort of blew it up into a book, because uh, the short story did so well. But the oh, the short story is the one you should read.
0: Oh, mm. well, I, I enjoyed it as a long story as well. <laughs> okay. So if you if you find the short story, that's obviously the best <laughs> version. But if you get to uh, long story version as well, I I still found it. I've never seen the film with it. it's Cliff Robertson, isn't it? There was uh, oh, I forget yeah. the title of it. It's, it's one name. It's someone's name, isn't it? And it's is uh, it just Algernon? No, oh. it's a different. Um, Charlie, that's I think it's called Charlie. Uh, Isn't
3: yeah. that the one with the rat?
0: Uh, that's Ben and Willard. Willard's the first of the rat movies. Then it's Ben. Right, they're the ones where there's a little boy who's got rats who kill Ernest Borgnine. Oh, the rats are always killing Ernest Borgnine. It's Ernest. not easy being Ernest Borgnine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ernest Borgnine, science fiction linked to Ernest Borgnine, of course, he's fantastic as Cabby in Escape from New York, which is one of those great examples uh. of if you are making a film in the 1980s, don't set it in 1999 because uh, you'll mm-hmm. find... Oh, it was 1997, I think, if New York becomes a maximum security uh, prison. Uh, thank you very much. It uh, said Salvation Lost. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, go to CosmicShambles.com. You'll find out lots more things that we're doing, including uh, our Christmas shows which are going to be in Salford and London this year.
1: Thank you very much for listening. Yes, Peter's latest book, Salvation Lost, is out now. Robin is on tour now. Beck's VR show is out basically now. Tickets for Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People are available now. Tickets for Robin and Ince and Brian Cox's Compendium of Reason at the Hammersmith Apollo are available now, but there are not many left. You can support us on Patreon now as well. Do everything now. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles and pledge your support for the show. Like and subscribe and review. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Tweet about the show. Do all that stuff. We'll be back next week with another new episode.
0: Until then, have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.